The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to the brand new revamped Film Guide and uh, for this week our Film Guide host is none other than local author of note, Howard Linsky. Hello Howard. Hiya Danny, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. So you're going to be here every month to talk about um, the, you, you know, to, to do to host the film guide uh, and um, we're, we're doing this on a like a kind of a rotor basis now so you're you're here this week and then uh, next week we have um, uh, the other friend of the show Chris Aikman along with the Sunderland's podcast producer Sam Rolfe and the week after that uh, we have local broadcaster Alex Mackay um, and uh, so you're going to be sort of taking in turns hosting this but you're here for this week and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to we'll end the show as we always used to do by looking at um, the host's uh, choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. We'll also be looking at the um, releases on streaming services. uh, If there are any to talk about for that particular week, Um, we have a special part as well where we're going to be, well, We'll come to that later because that'll change each week. But um, but Howard has got something lined up for for the third part of the show that that I don't actually know much about at this stage. Uh, although he did mention the film just off air, so I, th- I have a vague feeling what we might be talking about. But we're going to start things off with uh, new releases that are in the cinema at the moment. And so Howard, yeah, well, the cinema is now reopening, as we know, which is quite exciting. So um, I suspect the movie that will rake in most of the box office in the coming week will be the appropriately named A Quiet Place 2 which as you might know from the title is the sequel to A Quiet Place because it did very well and the one thing Hollywood is very good at is cashing in on something that does very well so this, um, if you're not familiar with the premise of this um, it's uh, well it's not a thriller set in a library I think it's the first thing which is disappointing <laughs> I, rather like, I rather like the idea of villains and uh, heroes going face to face and someone going I'll kill you all and someone else going shh because they put their fingers to their lips but in reality the premise of this one is uh, it's based on the idea that the world has been overrun by scary aliens so picture Ridley Scott style aliens but um, they're blind but they have hypersensitive hearing so you can wander around silently and they won't get you but because of their hypersensitive hearing if you make a sound you're probably done for. Yeah, and, and, and those who may recall seeing the first one as well, some of it was, was absolutely terrifying. Like there, wasn't there a bit where did somebody stub a toe or stand on a, a, a tack or something like that? And, and, and then, of course, toward the end of the first one as well, we discovered that one of the main characters is pregnant and, and she, she's having to give birth whilst being silent for fear of these, these creatures hearing and then coming for her. Yes, good memory. That, so that's, that was what happened in the first one. And um, I don't want to spoil the first one or the second one too much, but just to say that some members of the family continue, <laughs> and perhaps some don't. And uh, they have to go on the move because the home that they had that they had to be silent and I think it was destroyed or uh, rendered uninhabitable. So they're now crossing America or the part of America that they're in looking for fellow survivors. And uh, there's, a, there's a guest slot full, uh, filled by Killian Murphy, uh, the Peaky Blinders chap. Oh, He's yes. He's in there. Um, Emily Blunt does return. So, um, and her off-screen husband, John Krasinski, who is her on-screen husband in the first one, also directs this one like he did the first one so yes um, family affair okay yeah i believe he was also the writer or one of the writers mm. of the first one and, and of this one uh, so uh, so that's um that's a quiet place part two yeah. which is out in cinemas now 
Yeah, it, well, uh, yes, it is today. Yes, indeed, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that, sorry, I had to think there for a moment when it's exactly out. But yes, today it is out. Okay, so that's that came out Friday the fourth of June. Correct. Um, which yes. which might well be today when you're listening to this. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Right. Uh, what else is uh, to discuss in this section? Okay, so we've got another one that's um, a, a bit of a contrast to uh, A Quiet Place. This is called After Love. And in After Love, uh, Joanna Scanlon, who you may recognise from doing TV, drama and comedy, a variety of things over the years, plays Mary Hussain, who is a woman in her early 60s who converted to Islam to marry the man um, who um, becomes, in this, her late husband, Ahmed, um, following his unexpected death, she suddenly finds herself a widow. Uh, and the twist in this movie is that the day after the burial, she discovers that he had a secret life with another woman just 20 miles across the channel from their home in Dover in France. So she goes over to see this woman. And I think, uh, I haven't seen the film yet, so just the trailers because it's brand new, but it looks like initially she doesn't let on that she knows that the woman is the other woman. So it's one of those where, I suppose, in a, in a different kind of genre, it would probably be a thriller or a, a revenge crime thing. But this is more about a woman realising that what she thought was real in her life perhaps wasn't and going on a bit of a self-discovery journey and meeting the other woman to talk about this side of the husband she didn't see. So I don't think it ends in a bloodbath, as it probably would in many, many families in real life. This is more of a serious drama. Um, the critics loved it. Let's... let's Put that out there and then people can make up their own mind okay um and i'm trying to place joanna scanlon and i've just worked it out i know her from the thick of it she yes in that, she's in that she? yeah she's um got one of those faces where you go what have i seen her in she tends to play either comedic roles or quite often nurses and nannies and um you know historical figures that are in the background perhaps but she came into acting late in life um taught it before she became an actor herself okay. And um, yeah, she seems to be uh, getting all the plaudits in this one. Yeah. So. Now you've mentioned it, that was the other thing I could think of that she was in. Get, was it uh, Getting On, which was mm. I think set in a hospital, and uh, it had in it um, Joe Brand. That's right. Yeah. Uh, around for about three seasons, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So you recognise the face, and yeah. uh, she's got a few uh, good reviews for that one. So, but it looks quite serious. So. Okay. Not and, involving murder and mayhem. Okay. And uh, have you got one more film for this section? Oh, yeah, you're going to love this one. I'm sure it's going to be right up your street. So it's called Gunda. And all the critics, I'm not exaggerating or, or, or taking the mick, are loving this one. They're giving it rave reviews. It's directed by somebody called Victor Kozakowski, who sounds like he was born to be a director with a name like that. Um, now, I was prepared to give this a chance. I played the trailer, two and a half minutes of it, and uh, I didn't mind that it was shot in black and white. That's fine. And it looked sumptuous. There's no dialogue for 90 minutes. None. Okay. Uh, because it follows the daily life of, get this, a pig, two cows, and a one-legged chicken. Oh, not another one of those films. Yeah, I know. It's been done a thousand uh, times yeah. before, hasn't it? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> the things they'll do for commercial reasons. But anyway, um, this has a 98% approval rating on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes. People are calling it a masterpiece. Now, it might be, but I'm just wondering who has the time and the patience and the money to do 90 minutes of a no-dialogue movie 
Well, it's basically a documentary, I suppose you would call it. Yeah, it's you know, listed it's on just, here as a, as a documentary. Yeah. So it's called Gunda. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, apparently, it, it's out. It's out soon, uh, and undoubtedly, it'll be in. It'll be in all your multiplexes for for yeah. literally hours. If I was the producer and director of A Quiet Place Two, I'd be really worried about the competition from yeah. Gunda. Yeah, Gunda's gonna gonna <laughs> clean up. It is. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're interested in in the daily life of a of a pig and a one legged chicken, then obviously Gunda is for you. Yeah. I might have misunderstood underestimated the uh, uh, the audience for this one possibly i could be a bit of an outlier uh possibly could be rushing for tickets but, uh. <laughs> possibly possibly not anyway uh th- those are your f- new releases uh, in the cinema when we return we're going to be looking at uh, the streaming service new releases for the week ahead Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. We're back with uh, Film Guide host for the week, Howard Linsky. And uh, we're looking now at uh, releases on the streaming services. Uh, No new uh, releases to mention on Amazon Prime Video uh, for this week. In fact, it does look like um, some of the streaming service releases might well slow now that cinemas are, are back. Uh, another thing again but uh, we do have a couple of films to talk about uh, on Netflix one is an, uh, one is a new addition to their library but one is a new release uh, so tell us about the new release first yeah so the, the new release is called Awake um, or, uh, and, and it's basically the premise is I suppose it's not massively dissimilar to um, the Emily Blunt uh, A Quiet Place movie we've just been discussing because um, the idea here is that the world is being softened up by invading aliens or so, so that would appear from the trailers on Netflix. Um, and the, the way that people are being softened up is that since the mysterious alien landing in the background, no one can sleep. And um, that sounds like, hey, not a, not a big deal compared to being annihilated by a heat ray. But um, if you think about it, if you can't sleep for days, you start to get a bit, um, well, you start to become a bit unusual, a bit unhinged because of sleep deprivation. So they really cover that even on the trailer. They talk about the fact that after one day, here's how you'll feel. After three or four, you'll start to go a bit nuts and you'll start to hallucinate and what have you. So uh, the lead actor in this one is or actress is Gina Rodriguez, who is well known from the uh, Netflix series Jane the Virgin. This is far more uh, bordering, coming away from comedy and more into um, that sort of slightly, um, there's a terror coming from an alien. We haven't yet seen them but none of us can sleep and we're all acting very odd and people are going mad and shooting at each other and that kind of thing. So it looks like a um, one of those premises that were probably quite easy to sell to a producer in Hollywood. You know, here's he how it is. Um, I guess all a lot of it will depend on how it um, delivers, how it's um, written and acted um, fully and if there is a good trade-off at the end. But um, that's one to look out for. That is, although it's not uh, made by Netflix, it is a brand new film in the sense that 
COVID stopped it from having a cinematic release and it's come straight to Netflix. Okay. Uh, Yes. So um, Jennifer, Jason Lee and Gina Rodriguez there in um, Awake, an action adventure drama, it says here on my screen. So it must be true. (laughs) Um, So uh, that's, yeah, that's uh, that's Awake. That's that's the new release um, that that is coming from the the Netflix stable in some way, shape or form. Uh, But there is also one that's been added this week that you wanted to to, to mention. Well, because I haven't seen it, but I think I think someone I know has. So I thought I'd just uh, throw this one out. Um, because the premise, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. It's one of those movies. And I, I, I was a little bit put off by the premise. So what it is, it's the film Yesterday, uh, written by Richard Curtis, who these days, in the, certainly the last few years, has been no- noted for writing rom-coms that are quite emotional. And this one... Um, so he's the guy that did Four Weddings and Funeral, he did Notting Hill. This one stars Himesh Patel, who I think was a former um, EastEnders actor. Yes. Uh, but I must admit to not watching EastEnders, so if I've got that wrong, then then do tell me. Um, for some reason, Ed Sheeran in, is in it as well, except that Ed Sheeran has to be everywhere, apparently. <laughs> On all the, ra- all the radio stations, all the movies, all the TV series, he's quite ubiquitous these days. He's in it as well. Um, now, the premise, which, as I say, people will either kind of go, oh, that's clever, or they'll go, what? Um, it's the idea is um, Himash plays a struggling singer who isn't getting anywhere and then one day I guess he kind of wakes up and the world has changed nobody can remember the Beatles that's it nothing else has changed there's no nuclear war or post-apocalyptic you know, zombie plague. Yeah, it's he has an just... accident, doesn't he? He he he's in a he's in a, a road traffic accident. Well, I'm relying on you on this one because ah. you've seen it, and I've only I, I must admit I was kind of put off by the premise, but right. I thought since it's coming to Netflix, we should debate whether it's a good movie. Or okay, not. <laughs> well, I'm I'm prepared to go and take the other stance on this then because uh, yeah, so um, it, it's a uh, yeah, there's a road traffic accident, and he wakes up in a hospital. And he's the only person who can remember the Beatles. That's quite a common affliction, isn't and, it, from road traffic accidents, yeah. I've heard. And yeah. no one else can remember yeah. them. He's a struggling yeah. singer-songwriter. No one else can ever remember the Beatles. He starts playing or singing a Beatles song at home, I think it was. And his parents go, oh, that's beautiful. What is that? <laughs> and he's like, but it's whatever song it was. And they went, I don't know what you're talking about. And they go, but it's the Beatles. And then, then he starts trying to Google Beatles and nothing's appearing other than the, the creature. And, and he's, you know, he cannot believe... That, that the Beatles don't exist and no one's ever heard of the Beatles and and before you know it he's then thinking hang on a minute I remember all their songs and uh, so he starts knocking out their songs and he, he starts to get global attention including global superstar Ed Sheeran um, <laughs> and, and there's there's one there's, it's quite a funny film and there's one bit where um, he says to Ed Sheeran uh, or, or does Ed Sheeran say he goes yeah it's not a bad song but it's no fix you and there's a couple of other little digs at Coldplay and originally, Chris Martin was going to play the part that oh, Ed right. Sheeran ended up playing, but they kept some of the Coldplay digs in there, oh, right. okay, which so. would have kind of been very different if it was if it was actually Chris Martin making digs at Coldplay. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it is it is it is a slightly ridiculous, preposterous sort of fantasy. But but when it's inter- where it's but interesting, if you buy into it, I suppose it's fine, you know. Yeah, so he becomes like this global phenomenon, and he's getting you know with millions of fans, and he's he's playing these massive concerts, and then suddenly. Somebody appears who remembers the Beatles, ah, and he's not the only one, and and it explores this this a little bit, but it is it's quite. He's very Richard Curtis, yes, you know, and, and yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he does fantasy even when people don't realise it's fantasy, like like Notting Hill, which was set in this white suburb in in. Yes, London. I was less keen on Notting Hill. Four Weddings, I thought was very good, but yeah. um, I think he's. 
you know, possibly not my cup of tea, I suppose. But there um, is something about Richard Curtis. If you like his other movies, if you if you yeah. like those things, then I think this About Time was one that I saw of his recently. That was actually, if you like that, again, it's quite good. Um, some people might think he's a bit too schmaltzy and a bit yeah, too sentimental. Yeah, I, I, I realise I'm a bit of an old cynic as well. So if you like that kind of thing, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, if you do like that kind of thing, you're more than likely like this. Yeah. If you can swallow the idea of a world where people wake up after a car crash and can't remember the Beatles, yeah. or no one else can. Yeah, yeah, you'd be the only person who remembers them. Uh, anyway, that's that's the film yesterday, which which is one that, that Howard is not... You're not recommending it. I just, just put it out there, really, because it's coming to Netflix, and I, I was well aware that I'm in the in the minority of kind of going oh what what what's this all about whereas most people happily go to the cinema to watch things like that so good for them all right lovely um okay we're going to take another break we'll be back um with a a well it's kind of we need we need to come up with a name for the next part but each week the host is going to set a theme or come up with something and that's going to be part three and we'll find out what is in howard's part three in a moment Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week, I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. We're back with uh, the St Albans Film Guide with Howard Linsky. And uh, Howard, uh, describe this next section for us. I suppose I could maybe describe it as a, a section to bring back some classic movies to talk about, ones that aren't necessarily completely forgotten, but certainly uh, younger people might not be aware of them. So I thought I'd bring one of those in each time to talk about. How about, for a catchy title, Too Good To Be Forgotten? Excellent. Good stuff. I like that. Yeah. Was it, what was that, Amazulu in the 80s had a hit with that? Ah, okay. I don't remember that one. Oh, okay. Right, you know. it was, it was I, I would love so- to pretend I was too young, but I'm not. <laughs> I should know that one. Too Good To Be Forgotten. It rings a vague bell, mate. Yes. Okay, so tell us about the film this week that is Too Good To Be Forgotten. Okay, well, the reason I chose this one, because I remember mentioning it to your good self a while ago when we were having a coffee somewhere. And I think at the time you hadn't seen it and I raved about it and you, you then watched it and were polite enough to at least pretend that you liked it as well. So um, it's one of my all-time favourites called The Long Good Friday with Bob Hoskins playing Harold Shand, the gangster. It's a film from 1980 and I realised that um, because I'm, uh, I'm getting you know I'm getting older and there are younger people who've probably never heard of this movie unless they've caught it on TV. So I first saw this on television back in the mid-80s and... Um, as I said, Hoskins is in it. Um, a very fine actor, but this is probably his finest hour. He's done some really good stuff, including and, Mona Lisa. But this was really, really good. And this would have been very early in his career, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it was the one that first kind of made him. He used to joke about it that every time he did a movie, people would say, oh, this will make you. You know, Roger Rabbit will make you. Mona Lisa will make you. Uh, but The Long Good Friday certainly got him a lot of attention. And it's just uh, one of the reasons I like it so much. It was when I started writing books, I thought, well, no one writes stuff like this anymore. And the first thing I ever wrote was a little bit um, 
I guess, inspired by that. And films like Get Carter that I really like, they're a little bit gritty. It's funny you should say that because the one film it reminded me of was Get Carter, the yeah. original one, the Michael Caine yes, one, the Michael not, Caine not the one, Stallone yes. one. Yes, I don't think, I, I've deliberately avoided the Stallone remake of that one because I love the original so much. And I should love Get Carter because it's set in Newcastle and I really like Michael Caine. But um, I think The Long Good Friday is even better. And um, the premise is basically that Bob Hoskins plays Harold Chand, who is the gangster who controls London and, and everybody in it at this point. And um, he, he's got it all nailed down. Nobody dares to come up against him. He's got all the political muscle he needs. He's got bent law on his side. And he wants to go, rather like in The Godfather 3, which came later, he wants to go completely legitimate. And he wants investors to um, do what eventually did happen, which is convert the waterways by the Thames from old docklands to flats, offices, all that kind of thing. So as you do when you're the London's biggest gangster, he goes to the American Mafia for backing. So he's got a very big weekend lined up. Um, his wife, played by Helen Mirren, who's brilliant in this, is co-host when the Mafia come over. And then it all starts to go wrong for him. Um, his, his car is blown up, narrowly avoiding killing his mother, but killing his chauffeur. One of his men is killed, and a bomb goes off in the pub that he's taking the Mafia guys to see to have dinner. And he can't work out who could possibly be big enough to come up against him. But, I mean, and it's not a big spoiler to tell you who it is because it's hinted at at the very beginning of the movie in the opening scenes. Um, It basically transpires after a while that he's now doing battle with none other than the IRA because they think he has double-crossed some of their men and taken a dip out of some of their money that he was, um, one of his men, had to pay them in order for the Irish workers to do the construction work on this big area. And so you get this guy who's used to controlling everything suddenly coming up against a whole different um, level of opposition and it's a cracking thriller what I thought as well was quite interesting is that you're pretty much told that right at the beginning yeah but you soon forget that because you're watching this film predominantly from his point of view yes and you're thinking you know what he knows and he's trying to work out who's coming up against him yeah and you're starting to see conspiracies that aren't there as he is and you're starting to to wonder whether or not people around him can be trusted or not as, as he is and and yeah. even when he's getting revenge on people and things like that, you sort of you, you kind of forget the, the the thing right at the beginning that yes, you see that, you're right that, about te- that. that kind of yeah. tells you what's going on. There is a very massive hint at the very beginning of the movie as to what happens, and uh, you know, you know, and they drop hints throughout. So some, you know, they say some Irish guys came demanding protection money, and I tell them where to go, yeah. boss. You know, and uh, so there's a fairly big clue there as well, and and bombs, and the bombs are examined, and people realise that they're. You know, terrorist bombs as opposed to just someone trying to kill a rival. And from that point of view, it reminds me of another film with Anthony Hopkins in it called Fracture, which um, was him and Ryan Gosling. And at the very beginning of the movie, you see the crime being committed. Right. And then as the movie goes on, you start to think to yourself, did I really see that? Yeah, did you it, start questioning you it. Start be, and, and it's at such a point because you see Anthony Hopkins kill somebody, I think it is. And then you proceed to see him protesting his innocence. And, all, and, and you're starting to think, oh, maybe he's right. And you sort of forget, no, hang on a minute, I saw it. And right it's at such the an unusual way to tell a story because most Hollywood script editors and uh, producers would be saying, well, hang on, you've given away yeah. the, 
You know, it's better if a guy's protesting his innocence, isn't it? Better we don't know whether he's done it or not. Well, yes, so, and the yeah. typical Hollywood thing would be that you wouldn't see that beginning bit. Exactly. It's a bit like um, a bit like Columbo, where you see right at the beginning here it is, oh, and then, yeah. but but then all the way through it, you're then watching it from Columbo's point of view. And for younger listeners, Columbo is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah some a detective to... from a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he always had one more thing to to ask about. He and did. You don't need to worry about that too much. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so the Long Good Friday. Also, I've seen this film recently being publicised as being an early Piers Brosnan film. Yes. Which is something a, of a stretch, though, isn't it? It's what, What's weird about it is he doesn't have a line of dialogue from memory. He just appears as a young Irish-looking, I suppose, enforcer type. You yeah. know, he's usually got a knife or a gun. And he is part of one of the best endings in British cinematic history. How about that? It, it's such a good ending. Um, and he pops up during it. And it's just after... Um, Harold Shand, played by Hoskins, gives the mafia a proper telling off in his in his East End <laughs> accent. He tells them what's what, and then you get this great ending. If people have seen the movie, hopefully they're nodding along in recognition. If you haven't, check it out. I mean, it's it's a cheap DVD purchase. It's, it streams, but it's often on terrestrial TV as well. And The Long Good Friday is well worth an hour and a half, two hours of your life. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, if you're looking out for Piers Brosnan, he plays first Irishman, give you yeah. an idea of the size <laughs> of his part. I think he was only in two, maybe three scenes. Yes. And according to this, he had one word of dialogue. Oh, I didn't hear the word of dialogue. I he says, what that is. hi. Hi, that's and it. I think that's at the end. Yeah. I ah. think as or actually, maybe it might be it the was, swimming pool scene. Actually, it, it, it could be either. Remember. Thinking yeah. about it because yeah. in each one he greets somebody, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, he's he's basically barely in it. Um, wow. But but he is in there somewhere. Um, Helen Mirren is great in it. Yeah. Also, the chap out of Casualty, yeah, Derek Thompson. I was going to say about him because everybody thinks of Derek Thompson that it's just and I never watched Casualty, but he's been in it for approximately four hundred years. Yeah. Prior to that, he was known for the Long Good Friday, but also another gem, Harry's Game, where he played an IRA, ironically, an IRA assassin. And um, he's hunted down by a British secret agent in Gerald Seymour's Harry's Game, which is another classic 80s film. Okay. Now, did you know that the Long Good Friday, which I think came out in 1980, and, and also it's one of these films where it was all set in a day, wasn't it? And and mm. it's basically almost real time. Not quite, because I think it fast forwards a little bit to the night and then there's another bit which is the morning after. It is, you're right. Um, but it's essentially over the period of a day. It is. Um, but there was also, it came out in 1980, uh, there was a sequel that was going to come out in 1983, but it never came to anything. Oh, yes. Well, Barry Keith wrote one, didn't he? Um, right. And that was about, so I read about this recently. The idea was that um, the, char- the main character had come back and I don't want to ruin how but the idea was that Harold Chan might reappear to supposedly sort of rescue London from the Yardies who were taking over elements of it, the Jamaican gangsters. And for whatever reason, the movie was never made. But I, I'd kind of love to read that script. Yeah. You know. Uh, okay. But well, anyway, The Long Good Friday. So that's your film that we're going to say is too good to be yes, forgotten. Exactly. Check that um, one out. Okay. And also, I've just I've found out as well. Um, it was originally a hit for the Shy Lights back in 1974. And then I remembered it being a, a group called Amazulu in the early uh, 80s. That, actually, that does ring a bell, Amazulu. But I, I, yeah, I cannot recall the song. It's called Old Age and combination of that and Alzheimer's, I think, with me. <laughs> anyway, we'll have another film in uh, uh, that is too good to be forgotten in this slot when when Howard is back with us. But coming up, we have Howard's choice of films to watch on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. Don't go anywhere, or if you do, take us with you. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. <laughs> 
We're back with Howard Linsky, uh, host uh, this week of the St Albans Film Guide. Uh, so, uh, Howard, this is the part of the show that uh, that remains very unchanged for the dear listener. This is where we look at the host's uh, choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. And you're going to start with Friday the 5th of June, and I believe you have a film that's on at 11.45pm on BBC One. Yes. So it's see, I can read upside down, you see. That's I'm, quite I'm good. very impressed that you can read upside down. That's good. It's a skill. Uh, whether it's an employable skill, I don't know, but it's a skill. It hasn't Nonetheless. been so far. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just Friday the 5th of June because only 15 minutes to go, kind of thing, technically. 11.45pm, I've gone for A Fish Called Wonder on BBC One. Um, classic comedy. I should think a lot of people are familiar with it, but again, if you're not, it's well worth staying up for or recording it. Um, technically, the story is about a diamond heist and the key to a safety deposit box is crucial um, with the interaction of the characters but honestly the plot is just an excuse to get some very funny people together um, it's a John Cleese movie he plays a stuffy and repressed British barrister of course and um, he interacts with Jamie Lee Curtis as the American femme fatale who is trying to control him and manipulate him um, and they're backed up by Kevin Klein, who's brilliant in this and Michael Palin who is also very very good um, and I, I think the whole thing it just has really funny dialogue daft setups and premises and misunderstandings and generally um a good bit of absurdity that and, and, and this was in. this was a huge film at the time it's massive, and, yeah. and and you say they're john cleese film because it wasn't just his his starring performance because i believe he wrote it as That's well right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, so. and so very much a film of his and a pairing with his monty python collaborator exactly. michael palin yeah. uh, and and yeah it, it's just it was huge yeah i mean arguably one of the best British comedies of all time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was, what, mid-80s? I forgot to check the actual date of um, release, but I'm sure you know at the back of your mind there yeah. without even checking. I was able to pull that out of <laughs> the, the IMDb. Uh, 1988 yeah. it came out. It was a good one. And, yeah. um, well regarded at the yeah. time. So and, that's your late night treat on and, Friday the 5th of June. Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, she, she arguably has never been finer than, than in this film. And, and showing she was so much more than just, you know, yeah. a, a, a pretty face. She, I mean, she was very funny in this. Ideal casting because she's cast to be beautiful and glamorous and sassy enough to turn anyone's head, including a repressed British barrister. Yet um, the actor, um, she's, so, she's so funny. I mean, she's very talented, very good, and is certainly not just a pretty face, as it were. It's not just someone you put in the movie as a, a foil for um, Cleese to be funny, and she's not. She's very good in this. Yeah. Now, do you remember the kind of sort of sequel that they did? Oh, gosh, enough. I've forgotten about the kind of sort of sequel. So they, so it, it wasn't really a sequel in that it wasn't... Uh, it was a different story, oh, but right, it was the yeah. same cast. Ah. And um, this was in 1997, so nine years later, they did Fierce Creatures. It, yes, it rings a bell, and it kind of disappeared more or less without trace, I think, at the time. It, it didn't do as well yeah. as A Fish Called Wonder. It was great to see those actors working together again. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was set in a zoo, and, ah. um, yeah, they were trying to save a zoo. Um, I think back then I was probably a bit too prone to reading reviews and not necessarily giving films a chance. And I've got a feeling the reviews weren't very kind on that one. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't have been. It wasn't as good as um, uh, the, the Fish Called Wonder. Um, but it, it, it did reunite the principal cast. John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, and Michael Palin were all in it. Uh, along with Ronnie Corbett. Oh, right. <laughs> who was in there? Who was, Robert Lindsay was in there as well, um, but but that's not the film in question. Uh, it's the superior one that came yes, before yes, it. The superior one, yeah. Fish called Wonder, which free is free to view, eleven forty-five p.m. Friday the fifth of June. 
Yeah, on BBC One. Yes. Okay, let's move to Saturday the 6th of June and um, A Fish Called Wanda, very much uh, one of the finest British comedies ever made. Mm. You're not veering too far away from British comedies though, are you? No, this one's a bit more of a classic, it's even older, but I do like um, Ealing comedies, the classic Ealing comedies of the 50s and, uh, well, 40s, 50s and I suppose into the 60s. So um, things like um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is one of my absolute favourites. This one is The Lady Killers. So you just mentioned Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That was from the 80s, though, wasn't it? Oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm said it too quickly. I meant School for Scoundrels. Ah, so you're right. Slightly Dirty Rotten films. Scoundrels is the Michael Caine, yeah. Steve Martin. Which I think is also thing, a great comedy. Which is also but... great. So I'll, I'll excuse myself that <laughs> slip of the tongue. Um, School for Scoundrels um, is Ian Carmichael and Terry Thomas. Okay. And that's well worth checking out as well. But unfortunately, yeah. that is not the one no. I found for you. So I'd better, I'd better move quickly into the one I did find, which is The Lady Killers. So that's got Alec Guinness, who's always fabulous, whether he's playing Smiley on Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or whether he's doing high, high Hollywood dramas. But this is an Ealing comedy. Um, he plays the ringleader of a gang of guys who want to pull off a, a heist. So it's another heist movie, a uh, caper comedy, they used to call them, I think, back in the day. And the idea is they're going to rob... Um, money and they're going to get away with it by not being caught in the normal manner which is when they try to flee a great distance instead what they're going to do or what they do in the movie is they rent a room from a little old lady and they do this by saying that they need to practice they're a string quintet and they're going to practice their music and she she's quite old um she's portrayed in the movie as quite um amusingly a little bit um out there she's when she goes to see the police which she does almost on a daily basis to report some crime or misdemeanor. They don't take her seriously, but they just send her on her way and say, thank you, we're going to look into that. Um, She then ends up inadvertently assisting a massive crime because um, the gang, which also includes um, Herbert Lom and Peter Sellers uh, in in an earlier role, um, they uh, pull off the heist. They then use her to collect the money, which they've hidden, and she brings it back in a case. And then eventually she finds out what's going on. And they stop her from going to the police by saying she's actually an accomplice. That's the first thing they do to her. And she's very moral. She's like, no, 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 you're very bad men and you have to report this and you have to return the money. And they try and convince her that because it's insured, they, the police wouldn't want the money back. It's just too much trouble, you know, and this goes on for a while. But then they start arguing amongst each other because she's got to go. You know, she's a witness. But others are saying, well, no, but she's a, she's a lovely old lady. We can't kill her. And this causes friction in the gang and they turn on each other. And over a period of time, um, the, the, the fun in it, it's very dark comedy, the fun in it comes from them trying to uh, double-cross each other and get rid of each other. And um, she um, is absolutely brilliant. Uh, the lady in question, who plays Mrs Wilberforce, uh, was a 76-year-old actress. Um, she made a debut at 53 and um, steals the movie. She's got Katie Johnson. She steals the movie in parts because she's so good. But Alec Guinness is um, probably the, the, the performance that permeates it all, the really dark presence of this guy who's the ringleader of the, the gang, and it's, okay. it's brilliant. I see that um, Frankie Howard had a part in this as well. He did, a little part where he plays a guy with a... Um, I think he's got a... a, a, a from memory, because I haven't seen it for a while, he's got a vegetable and fruit stand, which is constantly getting knocked over. And uh, in a, a bit like a carry-on <laughs> audition, in a way, early on in a carry-on film. So yeah. he's constantly going into one and um, you know, is he, is getting he, into fights. When he gets knocked over, does he go, oh, Pretty oh. much, yes. I think he does a bit of that. That was like yeah. having him in the room, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was yeah. incredible. I thought he'd walked in for a moment. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, Frankie Howard here credited as Barrow Boy. 
Barabai, so that was who, a young who Frank Howard. Um, the, the thing I read here, just looking this up, it says that um, people praise this as being uh, something that really ca- did an excellent job of capturing uh, British manners and traditions in one of the finest British comedies yes. written by an American. Oh, I didn't know it was written by an American. Yeah, there you um, go. William Rose, apparently. Like um, 55. He yeah. was an American. Uh, but but um, after World War II, he moved to Britain. So uh, and he married a British woman. So sometimes perhaps, it takes an outsider to mm. pinpoint things, you know, and uh, particularly when it comes to British society, you know, yeah. you, uh, um, you, you know, you get uh, get writers from India or Japan who've written brilliant things about British society, and you think uh, that outsider's way of understanding something that we take for granted, maybe. Yeah. Now, do you, have you ever come across the se- the sequel, the remake of this? Again, I avoided it, a bit like Get Carter, because I, I think, well, why remake it? It's such a classic. It, Hollywood went through a phase of buying up all of the Ealing comedies and remaking them all. And it wasn't out of um, spite or whatever that I avoided them. I just didn't have the time so to the, watch a brand new version of something I loved, really. So, by and large, I'm with you on this sort of thing. Mm. However, the thing that's... Now, I've not seen The Lady Killers, neither version of it. But the thing that makes me inclined to maybe want to see this is that, first off, it stars Tom Hanks. Mm, it does, And yeah. he's normally good in everything he does. He's pretty good, yeah. Secondly, yeah. directed by the Cohen brothers. Yes, that's a and bit I've of seen departure. almost everything else that they've ever done, mm. and and that makes me intrigued. Think, why would they want to do an Ealing comedy? And so maybe there's something more to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was. I, I do remember that that year when Hollywood kind of went, "Oh, we're going to buy up all the old Ealing comedies," and they made two or three of them. Yeah, but um, yeah, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the remake. But start with the classic and yeah, maybe check out the remake with Tom okay. Hanks and see if he does a good job. So that's uh, that's the Lady Killers, which yeah. is on film for eleven a.m. on Saturday the sixth of June. Well read, sir. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Let's move on to your choice for Sunday. Okay, I'm going to break the caper comedy mould by going for a classic war film based on well, it's, a, it's not just based on a true story; it tells the true story of um, Operation Market Garden, specifically Arnhem. And the film is A Bridge Too Far, which is a 1977 movie directed by Richard Attenborough. It's on Sunday the 7th of June at 5.35pm on Channel 5. And um, first thing I'm going to mention is the cast, because rather like The Longest Day, everybody that was anybody around this time is in it. It includes Dirk Bogard, James Kahn, Michael Caine, Sean Connery, Edward Fox, Elliot Gould, Gene Hackman, Anthony Hopkins, Hardy Kruger, Laurence Olivier, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford... Maximilian Schell and Liv Ullman. So there you go. I and mean, that's just the main body of people in it. <laughs> as casts go, I mean, that, that is fairly that's impressive. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? So the, the story behind it, I'm, I'm quite into World War II military history and um, I've been fascinated by it. And I once interviewed a veteran from Arnhem who correctly picked me up on something I'd written for a newspaper years ago when I described someone else as an Arnhem veteran when actually... That other chap was a veteran of Niemagen, which is the other bridge, not the bridge too far. So the, the Operation Market Garden, the idea was to parachute airborne soldiers in to capture bridges behind enemy lines. And then the armoured convoys would go very fast up the road, connecting those bridges and help the men who were lightly armed to hold them. And that was going to shorten the war. It was going to bust into Germany. Um, it was a master plan. And the reason it's called a bridge too far is because... Even the commanding officer of the British paratroopers um, hinted that he thought they'd gone a bridge too far. And the Arnhem Bridge was the one that wasn't um, liberated, if you like, by the um, reinforcements that came up. So all the other bridges we got and we kept. But the delays getting that last bridge led to a very high attrition rate. 10,000 British paratroopers were involved and only about 3,000 got out. 
the rest were either killed, wounded, or captured, um, you know, and, and taken prisoner. Um, and having having interviewed a guy who survived the battle and actually got out, um, he was a guy who was a Gurkha who volunteered for the Paris. Um, every time I read anything about it or see anything about it, I'm just astounded by the courage of the men involved and their fighting ability because they were lightly armed and they were coming up against people with tanks, with half-tracks, with heavy machine guns. And it tells the story really well with no real sort of overt sentiment. It doesn't make it too glorious. It shows the cost of it and the human cost of it. And it's well worth a watch if you're interested uh, in World War Two or men operating under great pressure. Okay. Apparently, um, two things I know about this film. Uh, is One is that Roger Moore almost appeared in it as well, which would have been the, the only time that, that he and Sean Connery would have been on screen together in a film. Um, but in the end, he couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts um, with uh, the, the Spy Who Loved Me, which came out at the same time. And in the end, the part he played, it says here, went to Edward Fox. Oh, yes, another part. So that was a guy who was in charge of the um, armoured division, people who were going to go busting up the, the road. That was led by Michael Caine. So um, Edward Fox plays a very Edward Fox-type role where he goes, yeah, he sort of says, oh, Danny, we're giving you the honour of leading the armed convoy. Oh, thank you, sir. You know, I'm going to get shot at a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's actually, a very Edward Fox rule. Actually, I've just read on the extra sentence here. It says after he was initially declined it because he was it was a scheduling conflict, um, there was a delay to making the Bond film, which then meant he was available, but the the real-life actor, uh, the real-life character, Brian Horrocks, had oh, yes. a say in who was going to play him, ah. and he declined Roger Moore. Oh, wow. So after so he, turned, he was then... He turned down available. Bond to play yeah. him. Wow. Yeah, he turned down Bond, and he wanted Edward Fox instead. Oh, there you um, go. And, and the other thing that, that I knew of this film was that Sean Connery, um, who, uh, by all accounts, was a, was a guy with quite an ego, mm. and he was furious to find out that Robert Redford um, was earning more than him and had a smaller part than he did, and oh. went on strike until his pay was adjusted. Wow. Um, and uh, it must well, be re- real because it's here on the internet. It must be. And yeah. um, luckily it's not libelous because poor Sean Connery is now died of old age and gone. So yeah. we, can, we can say that it might yeah. have happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it says he went on strike for a short time until his fee was adjusted to his satisfaction. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Gosh. Well, I remember hearing a story of his that, that's quite well quoted where apparently um, a, a journalist once asked him, you know, what advice would you give to any young actors starting out in Hollywood? And he, his advice was get a good lawyer. And apparently he was not shy of suing producers he worked for. No, and he was an incredibly tough man as well, physically intimidating. I mean, most actors, even someone like Michael Caine, would admit they're not going to be um, as hard as the people they play, but Sean Connery actually was. And um, he um, he had a gangster after him once called Johnny Stompanato. This is very a very well-recorded story. It's not just something that's gone around on the internet. So Stompanato was a proper hood who got jealous because Connery was in a movie with Rita Hayworth, his girlfriend. So Rita Hayworth's dating this gangster. The gangster comes to sort Connery out. Connery knocked him out. <laughs> Seriously knocked him out. And Stompanato clearly didn't learn from this behaviour because years later, he was killed by Rita Hayworth's daughter. When he was, mess- he, was, he was hurting Rita Hayworth and her daughter stepped in, killed him, and it was considered a justifiable homicide. So wow. That's a bit of... Hollywood trivia we've thrown in there. There you go, yeah. On the back of the Long Good... Uh, sorry, not the Long Good Friday. I've already said that. The, yeah. Uh, the Bridge Too Far. The Bridge Too Far. So it clearly is a bridge too far for me. My brain is melting. So Bridge Too Far, which... Remind us when that was on again. That okay. was Sunday? Uh, yes, it was. I am going to pretend that's from memory, but I'm going to check my notes. Sunday, 7th of June, 5.35pm, 
on Channel 5. Okay, so we move now to Monday, the 8th of June, and yeah. uh, your first non-British movie. Yes. All this... of those movies so far, all British movies. Yeah, so uh, showing I'm not prejudiced against Hollywood in any way, shape or form. This is a really good one. Monday, 8th of June, The Colour of Money. Oh. Do you know that one? Oh, yeah. Ah, it's a good one, isn't it? So this one, um, ostensibly, to say that this one is about pool, as in playing pool, is probably, um, you know, it could be about any sport, really, but um, it's a sequel to a movie I really love. Um, so, uh, And it's written by a guy called um, Walter Tevis, who, um, incidentally, so, so it, it, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm trying to explain it so I don't ramble on too long, but it features a character called Fast Eddie Felson, who was in a movie in the 60s called The, the Hustler. And The Hustler's a great movie. Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie as a young man, um, and he is a great pool shark. And he tries to beat the best guy around, and it doesn't go according to plan because it wouldn't be much of a movie if it did. Um, and it follows his kind of downfall, and then him trying to get back on his feet again. Very good film. More than twenty-five years later, *The Colour of Money* picks up the story. Paul Newman again. He's now the middle-aged version of the guy he played, and he's backing talent, who are you know someone who's good at pool. And the guy he picks up to back at the start of the movie is played by Tom Cruise in a very Tom Cruise kind of role, very um, brash and um, yeah, uh, full of himself, a guy called Vincent Lauria. And he has a, a girlfriend played by Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonia, who you might remember from Scarface. And the movie, even though it's quite a kind of a commercial Hollywood movie, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. And it's one of the ones that he tends not to be remembered for. It was almost as if at the time he was proven to Hollywood he could do commercial he could do uh, he could be trusted with Hollywood budget and deliver so Newman wins the Oscar for this um, Tom Cruise um, yet again in a movie that makes a great deal of money so that cements him as a big movie star and, and yet Gun. again um, overlooked for his performance because his performance in this was pretty good he's really good in this I think and um, what, what's interesting is the dynamic between them so it's almost a reversal of the hustler in that Paul Newman's the old guy who says don't do this do this instead don't, don't go and beat everyone because everyone's going to know that you're this great player, but it's a bit like telling Jimmy White not to pop the ball. It's kind of it's against his nature, and because he's arrogant, he wants to show everyone he's the best. So they have quite a bit of friction along the way, and it builds to a, a, a suitably satisfying climax at a big pool tournament in Atlantic City. And uh, I loved it at the time, and I still think it stands up really well. I saw it again a couple of years ago. Um, the other thing to mention about it, when I was digging back into the details and checking that I hadn't forgotten the cast or the director. Um, Walter Tevis, who I mentioned, who wrote it, um, and who wrote the previous um, The Hustler, he also wrote The Queen's Gambit, which is the massive Netflix series. Oh, yeah. Recently, obviously he wrote it a long time ago, um, the book, but with the one that Anya Taylor-Joy is in that uh, was about chess. So he, there's clearly something about the psychology of sport that he can get under. And, and to say that um, The Queen's Gambit is about chess, just about chess, is kind of... <laughs> bit like saying the colour of money is just about playing pool. It's not. So, you know, when you tell people, oh, this movie's about football or it's about tennis, and they're like, oh, I don't really like that. You know? yeah. No, no, don't worry about that. It could be about any sport at all. Yeah. It's just about people pursuing It's about the characters and who goals. just so happen to be uh, yeah. playing pool. Exactly. Uh, I was intrigued by the time um, between the original and the sequel, and mm. I was thinking to myself, there, I, there can't be many movies that have a bigger gap between sequels. And uh, I could only find one that had a longer gap, that, that had the original cast. No, The Godfather was a lot shorter. Ah. 16 years, The Godfather. I just wow. looked it up. Um, but uh, no, it, uh, yeah, the, yeah, The Godfather was 16 Not years. Not the last picture show, then. 
That was quite a. Oh, big yeah, that gap. would be a big one, wouldn't it? There's a big gap between that and the sequel, wasn't there? That uh, I but would. That, but again, probably that's not, not twenty six years. That's though. not on my list, but right. I'd imagine that's probably around about yeah. because nineteen seventy five was or, or thereabouts was the last picture shown, and the, and the yeah. sequel was early two thousands, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, but no, the one it's got here is Tron Legacy. Oh, which <laughs> how underwhelming! <laughs> yeah, but, um, and and there are others, but I'm not counting the others because the others don't have the same cast in them. Right. But but Tron Legacy has the it's, it has Jeff um, Jeff Bridges is is in um, that as well as in the original Tron. Actually, what is the gap between the original Star Wars and the original Star Wars cast reappearing in the newer Star Wars? That must be quite wide. Because they weren't in the middle ones, were they? The no. ones that nobody really likes anymore. So uh, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, all that. That must be quite a gap. Yeah, um, so... I'm Sorry, just, I didn't expect you to know that immediately, obviously. I feel like I've thrown you a curveball. You have, though, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so... Well, that's got to be a 30, nearly 40-year gap, hasn't it? Wow. 32 years? There you go. From uh, ni- 1983, I think, was Return of the Jedi, yeah, yeah. and 2015 is Star Wars Episode Seven, which was the next go. one where they all... So we nailed together. it. That's got to be the... Biggest, yeah, was, yeah. Was Tron even bigger? No, twenty-eight years was Tron. Oh, so this is, is this is yeah. even bigger. So well done. I think I think because they've included the ones in the middle, um, the Liam Neeson and uh, Ewan McGregor Star Wars movies that weren't all that amazing, to be honest. No, so so yeah. yeah so there's but it's the short... original cast of the Star Wars people yeah. making a leap. That's uh, what I'm the thinking. last picture show was nineteen seventy-one, and um, I'm trying to now look up the sequel. Oh, uh, Sybil Shepherd in that one, wasn't it? And uh, Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges again, in, in, and and. Oh, what was it called? Was it something pleasant? Texasville or something? Texasville. Is that it? Texasville. Gosh, if I've got that wrong, I apologise. No, I'm I think doing this from memory here. I think you're right. I we're think winging this. Really. Yeah, we're, we're making this up as we go along. Te- Texasville, uh, which came out in 1990. So, right. 18 years. 19 yeah. years. Um, yeah, I thought Texasville was a lot more recent than that. Mm, there was right. also Jack Nicholson did Chinatown, and then he did a sequel to oh, that, didn't yeah. he, many years later? Was it the Two Jakes? That's right. Well remembered. He did. Uh, well, that was probably 90s, was it? Two Jakes? Or two Jakes? 1990. Right. Um, and uh, Chinatown would have been 1974, I think. Something like that. So, 74 or 5, one of the two. Yeah, you're right. I think 74. Yeah, so, uh, so that's what, 16 years. So we're taking everybody down a trip down memory lane here, aren't we? <laughs> aren't we just? Right. Okay. Anyway, so that was The Colour of Money, which was on uh, Monday. Monday the... the 8th of June on Talking Pictures TV, but that is on Freeview. Yes. I did check that. And okay. that's at 11.15pm. So I'm keeping some of you up a bit late at night. Well, put some well of you set recording devices. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so the next day is Wednesday the... Ah, well, no, so Tuesday the 9th of June is my next one. Right, okay, yes, yeah, so yeah. Tuesday the 9th. So I thought I got it wrong there. So this one, it, there was a bit of a dearth of movies that I would say were classics that day. However, I did pick out this little curio. It's not that old. It's T2 train spotting, as in... <laughs> Train spotting two. Okay. Um, it almost sounds like Terminator Two the way they wrote that, but it's yeah. at eleven forty-five p.m. on Tuesday on Film Four. Now, um, that's relatively uh, recent compared to all the others, but um, the charm of this one, if, you, if that's the right word, is that you do get to see what happened to all those unbelievable characters in the first Train Spotting movie. So that was Danny Boyle reunited with Ewan McGregor, Robert Carlyle, Ewan Bremner, and Johnny Lee Miller to pick up their lives. Um, years later and of course the complication being that Ewan McGregor's uh, character is um, not very popular with Robert Carlyle's character because if you remember at the end of Trainspotting he steals all the drug money and disappears and I think he goes off to Holland from memory but then he re-emerges divorced and broke and he goes back like you do when there's a psychopath in jail who wants you dead and uh, Robert Carlyle escapes from prison and uh, 
various antics ensue, shall we say. But I just thought this was an interesting one. It's not a 9 out of 10 movie, but it's Tw- not bad. 21 years between uh, between well, the original. Another gap. Wow. Yeah. Um, but but yes, uh, and, and, and uh, again, um, uh, based on material by Irvin Welsh. Um, yes. In fact, I, I think I'm right in saying it used some material from the original book that were, wasn't used in the first film. I think so. And then was also based on another book of his porno. That's right. Yes, I think it is. And I'm sure there's a bit of original material thrown in as well. Yeah. And I would I would put this up there with, I mean, some, some critics hated it. Some people loved it. I would say it's really quite good, you know. So that that's about as good as I can get about it. But there really wasn't a lot on that day that I could choose that was any better than <laughs> okay. Trend Spotting 2. So tune tr- into that one. Don't try to justify, you know, you, you, yeah, you chose I, it and I, that I was that. I feel the need to justify my selection. Okay. You know. so, yeah, so, so t- Tuesday the 9th of June. Sorry, Tuesday the 9th of June, 11.45pm <laughs> on Film 4. Okay, that's T2 Train Spotting. Let's move Correct. to Wednesday the 10th of June. Okie dokie. So this is another um, classic, another older one but it's brilliant. Um, don't be put off by the fact it's in black and white. It's uh, Wednesday the 10th of June on Great Movie Classics on Freeview, Channel 51. I even noted that for you, so you don't have to find it. That's at 6.45pm, classic film noir, double indemnity. I don't know if you know that one. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, Billy Wilder, wasn't it? Uh, yes, fabulous film director. Um, did a lot of good stuff, including Some Like It Hot and Sunset Boulevard. So one of the, one of the best directors in, in Hollywood history. Um, the lead actor Fred McMurray didn't do loads of other classic movies that we know but he's brilliant in this um, Barbara Stanwyck is the femme fatale there's always a femme fatale in film noir uh, and a brilliant supporting role from Edward G. Robinson as Fred McMurray's boss and Edward G. Robinson is a great actor Fred McMurray plays an insurance salesman and Barbara Stanwyck takes out insurance on her husband they fall for one another and really wouldn't it be convenient if the husband was disposed of and the double, double indemnity phrase relates to um, a term that when they sell you insurance, sometimes they have a clause that says, should he be knocked over by a car or should he fall in the shower and kill himself, we pay double. Um, now, if the plot rings a bell, um, it's because uh, Body Heat in the 80s was a really good modern remake of Double Indemnity. And that's Kathleen Turner and uh, William Hurt. Mm. Uh, and was that's, that Brian that's a, De Palma film? Uh, I'm trying to think if it was him or not, actually. I might have made that Crikey. up. Was it Brian De Palma's? You might be right there, and I'm trying to think. Sorry, what was it called again? Double? Uh, body Heat. Body, body, body heat. heat. Right. I don't think it was him, and I'm trying to think who it was that directed that one. You caught me on the hop. I should have done my homework more thoroughly as I was going to throw that one in randomly. Lawrence Kasdan. There you go. And um, he was a scriptwriter as well. But he did direct some stuff, so um, quite okay. A, quite but a but there's an interesting writer behind. Uh, the yes, there is. So um, and and boy, did it get fiery. Billy Wilder co-wrote this with none other than Raymond Chandler, who is well known for Philip Marlowe and The Big Sleep and, and novels. So he went to Hollywood. Um, he was one of those archetypal Hollywood scriptwriters who sort of slummed it for money in Hollywood and drank a lot. And they they almost uh, well, I don't know how far they how how far they fell out, but there was a big falling out. But somehow, you know, you get movies that even though people are falling out left, right and centre, some magical alchemy results at the end of it. And I think um, this is one of those as well worth checking out. And uh, often old movies can look a bit dated. They can seem a bit strange or a bit stilted or they go on a bit too long. Double Indemnity still stands the test of time. There's a there's a drama, an audio drama that I listened to on Radio 4 some years ago called Double Jeopardy that was about the writing of the film Double Indemnity ah. and Patrick Stewart was in it. Um, right. And I can't remember whether he played Chandler or Wilder, but he played one of them. And it was very good, you know, because the story of how they 
how they sort worked together the and they, yeah, and they <laughs> didn't really get on and there was a no. lot of drinking involved and I think they had to catch him sober um, when you know when, when he needed to deliver pages but like a lot of those legendary writers who did drink when they had to they would stop drinking and deliver a lot of pages yeah and, uh, Raymond Chandler uh, was played by Patrick Stewart Oh, on, right. in that if people are interested that was a radio, yeah. a radio drama um, the film that I was thinking of Brian De Palma it was um, it was called Body Doubled which came yes. out at a similar Roughly time at the same time that's yeah. right yeah. But, but yeah very similar title as well yeah. um, but, but no so, uh, so yeah the film Double Indemnity a, yeah. a film noir classic and that's uh, Wednesday the 10th of June uh, and uh, that's 6.45pm uh, 6.45pm on Great Movie Classics on okay. Freeview Okay, uh, let's now move to your final film choice for Thursday the 11th of June. Yes, um, this one, <clears throat> although it is Thursday the 11th of June, it's kind of going into the early hours of Friday. We have a phrase that yeah. it's in the wee small hours of Friday the morning, wee small but it's, hours, exactly. it's your Thursday choice. It is, it is. And so, the, again, it's the, well, it's the pick of the bunch, even if there were good selections. It's called Another Country, and it's a film from 1984. You've got to stay up pretty late or set one of these modern electronic devices to record it, as young people do. It starts at 2.05 a.m. It's a very strange time to start a movie. Um, it features a very young Rupert Everett. It's the, the, the role that really kind of um, set him on his way to a film career, co-starring a very young Colin Firth. And Everett um, plays Guy Bennett, who is basically um, Guy Burgess, one of the Cambridge spies. It's a fictionalised version of the guys who betrayed their country to the KGB. But this is probably the first that ever really ask the question why you would grow up and betray the establishment who you're, you've been a part of. Um, it's um, Originally, it was a play by Julian Mitchell. He then adapted it to this movie. It did really well. Uh, Everett got a lot of plaudits. And it's set in a public school. And the experiences that um, the two leads um, uh, un- uh, undergo, if you like, the trials and tribulations they undergo, set Rupert Everett's character, Guy Bennett, on a path that, that makes him rebel against the hypocrisy and some of the cruelties of the establishment that he is a part of. Um, and it sounds a bit, I suppose, heavy when I describe it like that, but it's funny in parts, it's very um, impactful in parts on people. It involves young people being put under pressure. Um, Everett plays um, a guy who's rather like the Guy Burgess's homosexual. There was a whole lot of hypocrisy about homosexuality in public schools back then. Um, the only crime really was getting caught, and if you didn't get caught, fine, you know. So it was a it was a really weird culture to be brought up in, and it sort of hinted as to why someone like him might grow up to be very bitter about the world that, in theory, nurtured him but did no such thing. Okay, so that's um, that's the film called Another Country. This is one of the things that I enjoy about the film show here, the film guide that we do, because occasionally um, somebody will recommend a film I've never heard of. Mm. And, and being quite a film fan, that doesn't happen very often, but I've never heard of this film. Oh, right, good. And, and did good. you say this would be your pick of the week of, of all of those films that you've just mentioned well, that on TV? because you haven't seen it, it is now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yes, they're, they're all pretty damn good, but I would certainly recommend Another Country. It's very good. Okay. Um, um, Howard, thank you very much for bringing these Film, all these films to our attention the choice Howard's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week is in the description of our episode right now you can also find it on our website which is um, stalbanspodcast.com Howard will be back doing this in about a month uh, so thank you for that next week it is uh, Chris and Sam who will be uh, doing the film guide it'll have a similar format ish it won't be as good because I'm not on it and neither's Howard but but you know they'll they'll, they'll 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 manage they'll manage they'll sure. struggle through I'm sure uh, and yeah so they'll be here next week and in the week after I'm back with uh, local broadcaster Alex Mackay uh, thank you very much for listening we'll see you real soon